Hey there, my name's Eric, and this podcast is, I hope, a sort of digital stoa, a place to delve deeply into conversation with people of all kinds who are committed to making their lives or the lives of others as good as they can be. So we're here to explore a wide range of perspectives, practices, traditions, techniques, and maybe most importantly, the people behind them. Primal Nature is a podcast in the Psychedelic Retreat Center in northern Spain. Today I'm joined by Jonas Massetti, a teacher in the Vedanta tradition who was recently recognized by the Indian Prime Minister as an ambassador of this ancient path toward enlightenment. As opposed to other traditions that rely on meditation, breath, movement, or other techniques to provide essentially discrete experiences of, of what we might call awakening, Vedanta is a process of philosophical and psychological inquiry that Jonas likens to uh, spiritual therapy. He's a skilled teacher and innovative practitioner, as well as author, podcast host, father, the founder of many nonprofit projects benefiting vulnerable populations in Brazil, where he lives. He's currently in the process of building a new Gurukulam, a residential retreat center for learning and growth in the Vedanta tradition. So today we explore Vedanta as a path to enlightenment, his personal journey out of convention and into himself, fatherhood, native Brazilian traditions, the enrichment of ancient practices with innovations from psychology, the Wim Hof method, and more. Before we begin, I think it's worth thinking through this word a bit, this word, enlightenment. It can be so vague and confusing and abstract. It can seem so so distant from our daily reality. Right? But I think we can see it as, as sort of like a, a placeholder for our highest possible achievement, internally speaking. Right? One way to understand it is the state of being in which we live when we fully answer three fundamental questions for ourselves. And these are questions we all have, whether we know it or not, and we all answer for ourselves one way or another, either implicitly or explicitly, just by the simple fact of, of living our lives. So the first is an existential question about the nature of our existence. Who am I, really? Right? This is a question we tend to turn to psychology for. When I discard my layers of learned habits and patterns, my fears, my desires, who am I beneath that, in essence, self with a capital S? This leads us inevitably to the second question, an ontological one, about the nature of being. Right? What is real? What is false? Many people turn to, to science for this, or, or the philosophy of science. In essence, I think what, what we're really asking on, on a practical level is, what are the things I believe or aspire to that over time, through, through inquiry or through experience, will be revealed as illusory? And this inevitably forces us into the third, which is essentially an ethical question. Answers for this question, most of us have no idea where to turn to. Um, and the question is basically, how does this self with a capital S, how does it behave in a world stripped of falsehoods and illusions? What goals, what desires, what actions and thoughts and behaviors, which of these make sense on the deepest, most meaningful level? And these three concerns, existential, ontological, and ethical, are, I think, they're basically, they're what comprise any meaningful concept of enlightenment. Enlightenment is the name we give to the state in which we live when we've answered these questions fully for ourselves. So enlightenment is our highest possible achievement, but it is also our truest nature, which we can only ever approach asymptotically. Jonas has a beautiful metaphor here of a salt doll, which is apparently a thing in, in Brazil, a doll made out of salt. 
So imagine this, this salt doll wants to discover itself. It wants to know what it's made out of. So it goes to the sea to find the, the source of salt. And it doesn't want to just look at it. It wants to go inside. It wants to feel its essence. right? And the deeper it goes in, obviously, the more it dissolves. And if it goes in completely, it disappears. It just merges with the sea. And this is, I think it's it's a beautiful metaphor, um, very apt, but it also, it resonates with me on a, on a really personal level because it's, in, in essence, it's, it's the same as uh, probably my most powerful sort of transformative vision that I had on, on ayahuasca, where I was this, this panther going through the night searching for, for something, for some sort of answer, and I found a light, a flame, which is like the, the flame of life. And I, I jumped on it. I pounced on it to, to eat it. And obviously when I, when I jumped on it, it was so powerful, so bright, so hot, it consumed me, it burned me up and I became part of that light. You know, and this is the vision that sort of guides me, uh, sort of, uh, internal compass that I use ever since then to, to help me navigate through through life and I, I mention this because I, I think all visions of enlightenment wherever they come from from whatever tradition they have a, at least one thing in common which is that when we surrender ourselves or our idea of ourselves to something bigger deeper more powerful than than this body this mind these petty judgments this restless living when we can really fully let go we transform ourselves and our understanding of the world. Right? Now, I, I personally, through my own life and through my work at the retreat center, uh, I tend to approach this through, through direct experience, through psychedelics, through tantra, meditation, breath work, uh, immersions in the extremes of nature with heat and cold and fasting and, and other techniques. Right? And, and what I have found is that if we can lace these experiences together on a substrate of of ever deeper psychological inquiry, self-knowledge, right? We can string these experiences together with, with greater depth, greater intensity and frequency. And, and we can approach again, asymptotically, this, this state of being, this enlightenment. And Vedanta is an alternate path. It's a complementary path, spiritual therapy or, or spiritual philosophy. It's getting there through a mode of understanding, which isn't just cognitive. It's also corporeal. But anyway, I'll, I'll let Jonas explain that further. That's that's his job. Just say we're going to go deep on this one, but it's also going to be fun. I mean, Jonas is Brazilian, and and that's just that's who he is. He's he's an amazing guy. So, with that said, let's get started. I'm doing well. Many things has happened since we we met, <laughs> pandemic and so many other life stuffs you now. I have to deal with yeah. What uh, what's going on? Well, these days we are like um, involved in a lot of social projects here in Brazil. Now, our we had like gave a lot of emphasis on the social project these last years. It just makes sense because of the pandemic. Before that, we were much more like our social project was mainly teach for free for those who cannot pay and all this stuff. 
But this year, because of the pandemic, we just started to open different fronts. So some works at the uh, detention centers, some works with women in vulnerability, also with children. We have a, a big campaign now that will start uh, showing the the ancestrality of the Brazilian tribes, you know, that's something that it's forgotten in the world and in Brazil also, you know. So yeah. a lot of work, a lot of headache and stress, but that's what life is about. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about headache and stress or it's about doing good work? Yeah, when but... when the stress has a good reason, we welcome it you know? and then we relax, do some Minhoff briefing and that's it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so can can you tell me like what what is it that you do exactly? Okay, so <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> so from formation, I am like a, a guy that came from a, like a Catholic school, very orthodox since young age. Then I went to the army where I became a mechanical engineer. Can you imagine this? It's like a metal box, the adamantium box, you know. And from there, uh, life was not making much sense. I, actually, I, I went to the open market like to, to work and uh, I opened a company. It was very successful in the stock market, and, but just life was not making sense for me, uh, not because of any obstacle that I could find. Actually, all the obstacles were hidden inside me. I could not see them by that time, but uh, I was seeing like how these big guys would work like in brazil of course and i would not want to live the life they would they are they were having you know so it was like a big impact for me almost like uh, some sort of uh, depression you know just to look at everything and say why i'm going to do all this you know why i'm going to keep on this track if i have enough money to live and why i'm going to do this you know, so suddenly I, a thought came to my mind that I should look for yoga. So I went, start looking for yoga teachers and there was a yoga teacher that was also a Vedanta teacher. And this, both these studies I, I've done since that, those times and I never stopped. And it ended up that I went to a, a like a Gurukulam. A Gurukulam is a sort of, um, how I say, a uh, specific place for study where you live with your teacher in in a residential course, you know, and, and like that I went to India and did the formal study of four years and a half in the forest. Everything studying, happened studying Vedanta. To studying Vedanta, yes. Yoga was also there, but Vedanta is the, the objective, let's say, you know? because it takes a long time for you to, uh, let's say, to master the Vedanta texts and the we, we cannot say that we master the Vedanta text, but anyway, to get specialized and to be able to explain the original texts without translations or anything, you know. So this is the course. Uh, it was four and a half of a lot of hard work, waking up four, four thirty in the morning and going to sleep like eleven, you know, studying the whole day, many things, chanting Sanskrit, Vedanta, of course. Uh, besides some cultural events that were there to enrich the whole thing. So how, how would you describe Vedanta? Vedanta, okay. Yeah. Vedanta, 
is one of the subject matters of the Vedas. So the Vedas is a, is a big bunch of knowledge that contains all knowledge of society and that's connected to the spirituality. That's how we see. So astrology comes from the Vedas. Yoga comes from the Vedas. Um, all the, um, the Ayurveda that everybody's knowing today, like the system of medicine. And one of those topics is called Vedanta. And Vedanta is basically um, a set of teachings that has to happen in a, in a teacher-student relationship that gives tools to the mind of the student to take back the happiness that is placed outside to your own resources. So it's some sort of, um, let's say, spiritual therapy, you know, but with a difference. It does not matter the story of the person. So you don't need to, to ask what happened in your life like a normal therapy session would have. But everything that is described there, if the person is ready in the correct moment, the, the questions, they are all inside the text, you know. So the, the student comes on the next class asking a question and the question is inside because someone asked that thousand years ago and it's registered there. So it's a very like flourishing, you know, uh, sensation that you get because you connect to something very, uh, how we say, primal for of our existence. And you discover that your own issues were ever there. And whoever wanted these answers, the answers were there also. And Vedanta is just a name of a subject matter, like astrology or history or math. So it's just a name of a subject matter. So whatever person that is teaching that the happiness is not on the material world, but it's placed inside of you, we tell that this is Vedanta. And literally, Vedanta means Veda is knowledge and Anta means final. So it's the final knowledge, the final thing that you have to learn about yourself to be free. You know, that's how it's, it proposes itself. And so it's a, it's a series of teachings. It's like an intellectual process where you're, you're learning things almost like a, like a philosophy maybe, or. It looks like that in the first glance, you know, but what happened is that without the, without taking the knowledge, let's say from the head to the heart, it does not work, you know? So what happened is that in ancient times, only a person who has done all his emotional maturity process would benefit from Vedanta because it's not going to deal with that. So if you know, if you want to know the nature of the self, the self mean, meaning the subject of your thoughts, this is something so specific and so unique that nobody's talking about. This is the subject matter of Vedanta. What's the nature of the self? But before you are able to really absorb and, and have a stability on this knowledge, the things that are not the self, like your body, your mind, your emotions, your traumas and everything has to be released. So nowadays, when you study Vedanta, you have to study it with this vision, like coming together a lot of tools like therapies and yoga and other things that will help the person to release that load, you know. So now we can say that Vedanta is taking care of both in some sense, but it's not independent. For example, we don't have enough tools in Vedanta to deal with the emotional process of a person nowadays. 
but we have to deal with the philosophical and intellectual part. So what we do, we mix Vedanta with everything that is good for humanity, you know? Huh, that's that's really interesting. It's, um, I mean, I, I've been doing a bit of research online trying to figure out what exactly Vedanta is, and I haven't found very clear descriptions. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah there, is, there is not much. There are some people that uh, transform Vedanta into a religion, what is like a nightmare because Vedanta is like making you free from everything, from every group, from everything. You're just yourself and that's how we are supposed to be after all, no? like a happy and free person. Some people transforms uh, Vedanta into some sort of uh, cult, you know, where people meet together and then they help each other and, and then become some sort of society that people live and also, this is another kind of clutch. No, we don't want that. We want to make a strong and independent person. So uh, to study like under the correct supervision when you're studying Vedanta is very important because nowadays there is not much Vedanta as such, you know, in the world is yeah. is rare. Yeah. And is this just to put it in context, is this something that's popular in Brazil? Or is it, were you sort of a pioneer actually, in this? Or? Actually, actually, I'm almost a pioneer. I, I say almost because uh, my job would not be possible if my teacher that came after me, Gloria, who have not done hers. She started teaching in Brazil in the 70s, you know, so 40 years teaching. And uh, she prepared, uh, let's say, the, the land, you know, for this plantation we are doing. So people were much open for this. They have heard about the name and a lot of people in the beginning were there to help me, you know. But then uh, I came and together with me, I have a big, big for Vedanta, not 10 people, group of people that uh, are like committed to spread this knowledge here. No? And it's something very rare because uh, in India, I have not seen so many people like interested not because of the religion or of the cultural aspect of it, but because they are really interested in self-knowledge and happiness and seeing knowledge as a path for a resignification of myself, you know. So this is something that's very unique in Brazil. And that's why we received that recognition from the prime minister, you know, because when they knew that there are more than 100,000 people here studying. They say, my God, this is a miracle. We have to do something. Then they, they gave that, you know. They, he does not know me or anything. It's just an official recognition from the government because of spreading the Vedic culture, let's say, like this. You know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, when I met you, you're so unassuming and humble and quiet. Uh -huh. um, and actually, I think when I first met you, I thought you were Indian. Um, yeah. I just, I just assumed you were, and then, you know, we got to talking a bit and I was like, well, this guy's really interesting. He's from Brazil, but he knows all this like ancient Sanskrit yeah. stuff, what's going on. And I started researching and I mean, you, you're, you're famous in Brazil. You have a huge following. Yeah, it's um, true. Yeah. I have everything, lovers, haters, students, <laughs> friends. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's such a, I mean, it seems like it's such a specific niche, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really unique. You found something that that really works for you, and yeah, and true. you found a way to share it with a lot of people. And yeah, I I just 
did whatever I could and some free courses in a time that nobody was doing on the internet or nobody was teaching online when I started. So it, it gave some inertia, you know. And then after that, the students start to tell each other. So it's a niche. It's not for everybody. It's open for everybody, but not everybody will connect to his own self process, let's say like this, through Vedanta, you know. But for those who, who see a purpose on that, we make ourselves available. That's how we see, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's very interesting because we, we did not talk so much during that uh, event, you know. But also I saw you and I saw your, your freedom-like style. And I said, man, this is very good. I have to meet this guy. But we have so, <laughs> so short time to speak now, between each ice bath that, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so so just to put it in context we were we met in poland at the like the winter expedition with with wim hof right and it was uh yeah. was it was a week long of ice bass hiking uh breath work just a, a whole bunch of stuff going on but it was pretty fast paced yeah. and a lot of people and a lot of people it was crazy like the energy was very high it's very beautiful no? yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you compare that sort of, I don't know, kind of like high adrenaline, fast paced, um, sometimes very showy, maybe even bordering on superficial. Um, how do you, how do you compare that with, with your path? I mean, how does that, how do you combine that with, with Vedanta? I think that we have different moments, like for everything in life, you know, that's how I feel. Um, in one side, this is correct. You know, there is some superficiality, some showing yourself and all that high energy. But in the, some other side, I was feeling very, very good to be there. Nobody was judging me. You know, I, I could just be myself and I did some nice friends like you. And this was something very special for me also because this uh, tribe né, of free people and people that just want to do good and, and to connect and to live a happy life is something rare nowadays, you know. So I think that high energy also gives people like the courage to express themselves and to be themselves. But of course, when you go to a personal life, né, I think some humbleness and some uh, more interior path makes sense, you know. So I think it attends a purpose. Uh, of course, we cannot really mix things, you know. So, for example, here I am an instructor now, as you know, but I'm not going to do like a Vedanta retreat and then mix with a Winhof thing because maybe the, the public is different, you know. But some students sure will come to a, to a Winhof workshop, you know, that, that's for sure, because they connect to me, but it's a completely different role to play. Now, one, you are more like a teacher sitting on a chair like I'm doing now and explaining people uh, ancient text. And the other one, you are like a person that will show them that there is a way to be free inside the jagged it's, it, the, the world. It's anyway, I, I can do this both, but I know there is some some shock in between, you know, I have to yeah. take care of that. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, they it's operating on a very, very different level, maybe appeals to different people, fills yeah. different needs. It's, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, completely different needs. And I, I don't, I, I don't have a, like a vision that my, my work with Vedanta and Winhof and other things that I do will just come all together and go. But just the fact that I, I myself did the process, a lot of people will, will do. A lot of students that I have will go after it and will know it. And then I can also adapt um, not with the Winhof brand, of course, because they have their own structure. But once you, you understand, for example, when I was in, uh, in India, uh, we took bath in the Ganges River every morning and it was very cold, like the Winhof in Poland, you know, but I had no method. I don't know what to do. And uh, I was losing half the gains because if I knew to set the intention, how to breathe and all that, it would be much better, you know. So some things can be introduced on the process and some others I think has to be done separate to work better. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think for people to, to go on the path of Vedanta, this, as I understand it, it's essentially sort of conceptual and intellectual path. Do they need to do therapy, body work, breath work, other, other types of things? I really suggest that back because we think that is a, that's why in the first glance, it's an intellectual process because we are discussing, you know, but suddenly in the middle of the class, the person will hear this intellectual speech, but you start to cry, you know, and something else is happening, you know, so for, let's say, 60% of the students, they have enough inner work to be able to deal with all that and grow, you know, but there's some 40% that were not really prepared when they got there, you know, so they need to do the process together. They need a therapist, they need some other tools together. That's, that's how I feel that people benefit most, you know, because it's not a completely intellectual process. No, it's a intellectual, the, the, the sentences, the, the, the teachings, they are received on the level of the intellect, but they have to expand inside, you know, and this expansion needs some sort of insights and um, let's say inner con consciousness, some, some connection that you already have inside of you to that for to make sense, you know. So if the person does not have, you have to build that. So although it does not make sense, just for you to have a, uh, an idea that's not a complete intellectual process. When people came, come here the first time and I ask them, they have to introduce themselves. I ask them before you say who you are, you have to sing any music, you know. People would make, oh, you are crazy. You are a Vedanta teacher, what are you telling? Because if a person is not able to sing, you know, what he's doing here? It's a joke. So just sing a song that you like and then tell who you are and we will know more about you from the song than from your words, you know. That, so a lot of things like this, it's, to, it's going together, you know. And I, I really believe that if you don't uh, put them together, it does not make sense, you know. Yeah. So what, can you give me a, a sort of flavor of, okay. of the teachings? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> so the teaching, the teaching would start with a, a prayer, you know, like this. Om Shri Guru Pyo Namaha Harihi Om 
सदाशिव सदाशिवसमचार्यमदाचार्यपर्यत वंदे गुरुपरंपरागन्मातरंदी स्थितधी पद्मकासन हृदय सागरातीत गोमती प्रणतस्म्यहम and this initial prayer will set a pace for the mind and we can say that there is no not really anything that we learn on this earth that does not come with a divine blessing because the intelligence of the universe is so high than our own you know that when even a person that maybe we have some hatred when they come and talk to us if our mind is on the correct frequency we listen something that you we need from them you know nothing is wasted and if you see the purpose of your life how how the life gets structured inside the mind we see that the purpose has always two aspects things that i want to obtain material gains or promotion or a girlfriend or a house and things that i believe that are going to make me happy and at the same time i have some sort of um, pursuit not for any object in itself but some sort of an understanding or an answer towards a specific situation so for example I may be wanting a car and wanting a, a birthday party, you know, but during my birthday party, you know, I was with my wife and my wife said something and this something did not match with my heart and I got a little bit uneasy. And now I have a new pursuit. I want to talk to her about that. Why did you tell that? What did you mean with this, you know? And when I, I, I dive on the second type of problem, because the first problem is, okay, it's material problems, we know about that. We can see that what are we really wanting from that is not really an understanding. It's something that maybe we, we cannot say it's lacking on us, but something that we don't accept on ourselves that the other person triggers with their own speech or emotions, whatever. So maybe a person will look to me as if they don't really respect me. And this feeling of being disrespected becomes an issue for me that I have to solve, you know? And why is this, you know? Not because I am disrespected, because in the same party, other people were treated the same way and they were not angry with him. They were just laughing, you know? how this person thinks like that. But with me, it was completely different, which means that was something inside of me that I was carrying that triggers with whatever this girl has said. And now I have to deal with that. And I want her basically to say differently. I want her to change her mind. I want her to love me. I want her to apologize. I want her to show respect in order for me to be okay. But remember, the other person, was not angry at all. She was laughing at this crazy guy that said that thing, you know, but 
I, instead of changing my own point of view or facing whatever is wrong in my own point of view, I want her to change her side. This will never happen. And that's why we keep saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and it's never enough, you know? Because if I don't love myself, it does not matter how many loves you I receive, I will still be an unlovable person to myself. And if I discover that there is a vision from myself about myself, and this vision is the basis for this second type of problem I have in my life, so there is a path that is not a matter of gaining new things or changing people's opinion or being respected or whatever, but it's a matter of changing my own perspective of myself. If I have to change the perspective of myself, it just means that I don't know myself. Because if you know something, you're not going to change anything. Actually, let's suppose I have here a very nice chef, a cook, that he, he works with us to do the social projects and to help the students when they come. And sometime I can get to him and say, man, I think this dessert was not okay. He will agree with me, yeah, I did not like it also. So, how did you not like Yeah, I also did not like it. I did my best, but I, it did not came out well. Are you not angry with me? No way I would. I also did not like. You know, even if you don't like what I have done, you know, if you know that you have not liked it, other people cannot affect you. you know? But if you are in between, let's say, clouded by ignorance, then it's a different talk, you know? If I don't know the value of my work and somebody comes to me and says, Jonas, you are a very good teacher, I will say, thank you very much, you know. If the person comes and says, oh, I hated your class, I say, oh, sorry, you know, I become very fragile. And this is not because of the vision I have of myself. The vision is what makes me suffer or be happy. But this change of vision is just because there is ignorance. And this ignorance allows this change to happen. So Vedanta is a study that gives you different tools to dig deeper, dig deeper, dig deeper, until the moment that you come to the subject itself. That's not even a male or female. That's not even a human being. That is immutable. That never changed during my whole life. If I close my eyes and ask, where am I? <laughs> there is no place for the eye, you know? There's just place for body thoughts, you know? So the discussion around that to give this nishta, this uh, establishment on this knowledge about the self, it's what Vedanta is about. Om. <laughs> so like this, you know, I try to do how a class would go just for you to understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, so it sounds to me like, I mean, when you were first talking, it sounds like a lot of psychology that I've, I've learned. I spent mm -hmm. a long time studying psychology and, you know, there's some very fundamental mm -hmm. principles there. Um, yeah. And then it sounds to me like moving toward a sort of non-dual vision of exactly. unity of oneness. You of got what, it. What I might call enlightenment, you know, the... Yeah, you can call enlightenment, yeah. 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 Exactly this. this. This is exactly the point. And you have to, to put the hook in the mind through a psychology process because this is what is suffering and making the person suffer on that moment, you know. And then from there, you, you bring her back to a more fundamental place where it does not matter her history, her trauma, or anything, you know. 
So the, it's, it's a path for non-duality. Non that, that's yeah. what Vedanta is, yeah. So, so the question that always comes up for me um, when considering enlightenment is, is that ever a steady state? Is it something that you can say a person is enlightened or can you only ever say this person experiences a state of enlightenment maybe with more or less frequency of more or less intensity? But it's because let me just put it this way. Like if, if I truly believe I am one with everything, whose mouth do I put my food in? You know, it's mm -hmm. like I, there has to be, and just in order to function in this body, in this world, it seems like there has to be some level on which I differentiate myself from you. Even if I believe deep down, you know, my okay. love is the same as your love. My heart is the same as your uh -huh. heart. Our consciousness is, is, is united, okay. but it's like, but this body needs to eat. You know. Okay, your, your question is very pertinent. I'm very happy to, to have this discussion with you. Nobody asked this in an interview. <laughs> so good, so let's go. So what happened is like this. If you talk about states of enlightenment, this is completely finite, and you have to go back there because any experience will end, even the experience of enlightenment, if, if there is such experience, you know. Uh, what we have that we know from breath work, from psychedelics and from all that is what we call the Samadhi state. That is a place where non-duality is, let's say, lived because the mind is not on all its full resources. So you take the outer ego out, you, you, you kick the ego itself out, some, so many different possibilities and then you receive this state of oneness, you know. But this is an experience, you know. There is another possibility that's not what people usually understand as enlightenment. That is not something that a person can be. Why? Because when the person is there, duality is there. So we say like this, that after the knowledge, there is no person left. So the person cannot be enlightened because the person is who, one, the one who carries the ignorance. Let's say like this, if you are in your own dream and somebody comes to you and explain that you are in your dream, in your dream, a friend comes and tells you, look, Eric, you are in your dream, you know, and you understand that, you know, what happens to the character that understands? Actually, the character lose its reality on the character's mind. So the knowledge about the non-duality, let's say, this knowledge is not about a change in experience, it's a change on the understanding behind the experience. So I can say that I'm everything and still relate with this body, the same way that you in your dream can say, I am everything on this dream and still be playing around in the dream, you know. So on, on this line of understanding, Enlightenment is just a knowledge, but it's a knowledge that will take the person in that salty, how I say, salty doll, you know, we have this concept of doll. Salty dog. Uh, no, doll, doll, like a small puppet of salt. Okay, doll, doll. Oh, a yeah, salt doll. doll. Salt doll, yeah. Okay, I, I, they, I don't they, know what that they, is, but okay, a doll they, made out of salt. It, yeah, it's a doll made out of salt that wants to know the ocean, you know? Okay. And she finds the beach and she starts to go inside and suddenly 
she disappeared while looking for the ocean. And then she becomes the ocean. She, she knows she is the ocean, you know? So the, the ego also do the same process, you know? Although there is always a person speaking, if you are inside your own dream and you realize that there is no new experience necessary because everything is already your dream. So it's just an understanding that takes place in the mind. Ignorance goes away. We say like this, you know. And in this case, you know, this enlightenment is just knowledge. And it's not going to avoid pain. It's not going to avoid many other things that people imagine, emotions, you know. But there is no suffering. Because the suffering that comes from emotions and pain come because I have to, let's say, um, condemn myself you know and that's not possible anymore because knowledge is there about who am i so how i'm going to condemn myself maximum i can say is i don't like this body or this mind is crap but it is crap so it's okay saying that, that like the, the chef you know that that's how it is you know yeah so it's when you fully understand yourself as something i don't know maybe deeper than this body this mind this experience uh -huh. then it's you don't cease to have experiences your body is still there your mind is still there exactly. but you aren't as attached to them you aren't identified exactly. with them. it's a different relation with them okay. so we can say like this if you if you're not attached to video games anymore you can still play you know if you, if you understand, that's a very good way to understand. You, you relate very much to this. When you understand that hate is love, you know, you don't stop to hate. But hate does not produce any more condemnation in yourself, you know, guilt, anything. It's because I love so much that I'm able to hate so much, you know. So I, I can sub, sublimate, I don't know if this word exists in English, yeah. sublimate my my anger in face of the knowledge of the love I have towards the other person. Now think about that in terms of the reality of the person, you know, I, I can sublimate all the roles that I play in my life. And even the relation that I have with my body, my mind, my relatives and everything through this knowledge of what is the nature of the being, you know, so the nature of the being is a stronger knowledge that will stick to me. Even if I die, the nature of the being is still protected, you know? So on the face of that, everything gets small. Yeah. That, that, that being is love. Love is a dynamic expression of this being, you know? It's an expression in the mind of the character. So good. Yeah. It's so profound. Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking I'm put, trying to, to put myself into this, this uh, sort of perspective. If I, well, let me, let me preface this by saying I've, I've had many experiences of, of Samadhi, you know, uh -huh. of, of ego death, of connection, of love, of unity, non-duality, um, and I know many practices that can help me to get there, but I often find that it's easy for me to forget. 
you know, it's um, when everything's good. And, you know, for example, I've, I've been uh, practicing mm-hmm. Tantra for, for a few years now. And, you know, if you're with your lover and you're in an intimate relationship, it's, it's very easy to remember that, you know, that we're all connected <laughs> and, and everything yeah. is love and beauty and, you know, it's great. Uh-huh. Um, but then, you know, you get up, you, I don't know, you have to go to work, you get in a traffic jam, someone crashes into your car. I don't know. A million things can happen. And it's, it seems to me like it's, it's easy to lose sight of that. Not completely, not completely. Like I do have that. that of course, yeah, there's a gain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, I haven't found, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever met anyone who seems to me to be in a constant steady state of, I just know. Yeah. I never I'm saw. I'm in connection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. And, and, and that shows us something, uh, like experiences cannot last. Uh, this is their nature, is that, you know. So, but knowledge is a little bit different because you never lose a knowledge. Once you gain it, you never lose it. Like, for example, our name, we are never, never going to forget, you know. And imagine something so intimate like the self, once it is discovered, becomes you. You know, for yourself, it becomes you. It's a silent knowledge. You no, know, you're not going to come out and say, I'm Shiva, like people would, would say. That's craziness, completely crazy. It's just a matter of understanding, a deep understanding of being that love that you have already experienced, I know, you know. So it's, it's, a, it's not an intellectual process, as you know. You know, it's, it's, it's just a link. It's a, it's, it's where it, it starts, you know. But all the experience that you have in your life has to merge on the understanding, you know. So it's actually made for people like you, you know, that already invested so many time and effort inside a spiritual pursuit, you know, and have an understanding, you know. Nobody comes to me to discuss this type of things in any interview. I'm very happy. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah, I think you got it. Yeah very good yeah yeah and what is what does that look like for you in your your day-to-day life like if you compare yourself to i don't know i mean when, when did you start with this 30 years ago 20 years ago uh yeah maybe 20 years ago around okay, okay. yeah so i mean yeah. obviously we can't separate just the yeah. natural maturation of, of age and experience yeah. but yeah. but on on a sort of practical daily level you know okay um Imagine, I don't know, and you get into a car accident today or you got into an accident, car accident uh-huh. 25 okay. years ago. What's the difference? A big difference. Actually, uh, some people ask me like this. Oh, you, um, uh, what w- did the expectations, your expectations were met during the, the course you did in India? I said, I don't know about the expectation, but the person that went with expectation did not came back, you know. <laughs> There is a change in the vision that you have about yourself, you know, and it's even, it's even difficult for people to understand because whenever you talk about uh, knowledge, people think that you're not going to have any emotions anymore, that you don't commit mistakes, you know. But actually, I asked this question to my teacher once and said, uh, teacher, when in, during this process that we are studying, when is the time that the mind becomes stable and we say like this, I don't need to grow anymore. All the traumas are trespassed. He said, the last day of your life, because the nature of the mind is always to show you the past, the past of, of your emotions, bring, protect you from things that you have suffered in the past, you know, 
So it will be always growing. So in my personal life nowadays, what I see is that I always, I'm always catching things to grow much faster, you know, before it would be like very difficult because a lot of resistance is there. Nowadays, if a friend comes to me and say, mm, Jonas, I think you, there is arrogance here, let's say, you know, if it's more easier for me to go there and, and I, I don't have anything to hide from myself or from another person. And I'm just a person. The body is not perfect, thanks God. The mind is not perfect, thanks God. I'm not the body or the mind, you know. So this understanding putting you on your place and a place that you are free to commit mistakes and to ask for forgiveness and pay for the mistakes, of course, you know. You are free to express yourself. You are free to say no when you want to say no. And free also to try different things in your life, you know. So I told you about my formation. Huh? I was a completely in the titanium box guy, you know. A lot of prejudice, a lot of bad habits, because that's the way I was grown up, you know. And this does not go away just because you go to India or you practice some yoga, you know. It's a life of self-work, you know. So th that's what my life is, self-work, you know. Although there is one big difference, what? I can give exactly the example of the car accident. I, when I was in the last year of my stay in English, my, uh, my course, uh, I was attacked by a wild boar. You know, that's, it's like a big guy, 100 kilos, you know? Yeah. I was going from the, the classroom to my room that was like a 10 minutes walk in the forest. It was dark, it was night. And suddenly I heard some, doo -doo 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 -doo, some sounds of animals running. You know, I was very scared, but I thought nothing happened to me so far. I am safe, you know, and I kept walking, you know. Suddenly from the bushes, this wild boar was already jumping in me when I saw him, you know. And he came straight to my right knee, you know, and broke my right knee. Thanks God there was... Uh, down slope just after me and then he he felt on the down slope i shouted i i did a roll on the ground you know and i was fit by that time i could run and some indians heard me and anyway they got me you know after that i stayed for six months in the forest you know in the wheelchair imagine in the forest, in the wheelchair, it's like, it, if it was not the kindness and the compassion of my friends, I would not have finished the course, you know, because in the wheelchair, even to go to the toilet, I need help, you know. And uh, I cannot say that I did not suffer at all, because the word suffer in this case has a different meaning. There was a lot of pain and a lot of hurdles that I have to deal with, you know, and... At the same time, there was a part of me that was completely out of the mess, you know. I was laying down in my bed, and I just spoke to God, say, I came here, I did the course, you know. If this white boy is going to attack me, it's your problem, it's not my problem, you solve it, you know. And I kept studying. I just lose, I think, two classes, imagine. Two classes, being, I had to do a surgery, put some two pins and all that things. But my mind was let's say, dealing, dealing with the pain, you know, dealing well with the pain. So this was something that I saw and I said, my God, this knowledge works. Because if it was 10 years ago, I was be, going to be completely depressed, anxious, nervous, that the course was not going on. And I was just there. I did not, I, I 
I did not know if I was going to walk again. You know, it was very, very complicated situation. You know, yeah. and thanks God I I was able to do everything when I came back to Brazil. Bicycle and some uh, therapies put everything together. You know, but it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's um I would ask the same question but in a slightly different way. Imagine okay. tomorrow you suddenly you can't be a teacher anymore. You lose okay. everything. You lose okay. your name, your reputation, uh -huh. your contacts, your house, everything. It's just Jonas okay. naked in the street. Zero. And, yeah. Yeah. How would that affect you? How would how would you what would you do i guess what i would do yeah well um, this is something that i have to think about many times because first every two years there is a crisis in here because that's how popular popularity works you know some people tell good things about you and then some people tell some bad things about you and then that's how it works uh, since the beginning it was like that you know so I have asked myself many times if I was supposed to continue this job, you know, and uh, of course I like teaching if I did not like I was not doing, but I understand that this is something bigger and I can teach other things also, you know, I, f I feel my heart flexible enough to find other ways to contribute to society, you know, I was a dance teacher once before and that was a very nice time of my life. I even liked to do some magic tricks when I was young, you know. I had a, a company on the stock market and I feel that with the correct attitude, you know, we can find this love, this main love that we know about, you know, in any place and, and grow it like a small plant, we can grow it, you know. So I feel safe on that side, you know, I, I, I don't feel that I need to do that, you know. And nowadays I have a daughter and I'm married, I have a daughter also. And so for her, I think I would have more pain because nowadays I can provide her everything she needs. So if I have to think about not having anything, I would probably uh, feel a lack on, on, on my father's side, let's say, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I would try to compensate there somehow, you know? So this this impulse to to care for your daughter, for your students, for all the people in your social projects is is there an aspect of that that is tied to this this body, this mind, this reality, or do you feel like it's because I mean let me put it this way, I can imagine an argument like well if we're all one, we're all just uh, incarnations of consciousness. Okay. Uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter if this person is starving or that person is, you know, killing that person because the the cosmic flux is still fluxing, you know, and it, mm -hmm. that's just superficial noise, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so what's the point of, you know, educating someone or helping them or taking care of your daughter? Like, her cosmic body's going to be fine, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I guess I'm I'm just curious how you how you think about these very worldly pursuits of yeah of because there there is a point that has to be cleared what, what happened is that once you start to get free from your own pain let's say you naturally becomes more loving it's a it's a natural process so 
when we are maybe more selfish and we think like this, if I'm not going to gain anything from this company, why I would run it, you know? Because there is a selfishness. But once this starts to melt inside, you know, you start to understand that you have a role to play. And there is no way that we can be living without contributing to society because we need to eat and I'm not planting, so somebody is planting for me. And uh, of course, I have a daughter and she depends on me. And just being free from my own pains make me naturally want to help her and nourish her, you know. So there is a, a let's say, something on the species, you know, Eric, something as being a human being that when we are free, we want to be loving and contributing. So I don't, I, I can't relate to a free person that can't, that's not contributing to the world, you know, because say that everything is non-dual, because it's not human, you know. It could be true, it's true. Everything is consciousness, nothing is going to make any difference in what I am, as my, as the nature of my own self, you know. But still, I am on a human body with a human mind, and if I see a dog needing water, I will give, you know, and this is natural. So I, I, I would say that's more on that side. So if things does not go well with, uh, let's say, some grief, I would say goodbye, you know, because it was a very nice time with my friends and teaching and learning all this. And I understand the story can go other other side and I will go. But the motivation that makes me be a teacher would make me do something else also, I'm sure, you know. So, I mean, it, it comes back to that same that same principle of you're, you're in this world, existing in this reality. So on that level, yeah, you have an impulse exactly. to help. It will come naturally. Yeah. yeah. You know, even some people think that like, oh, there was a great master that was living in a cave in the Himalayas. I went there to the Himalayas. I saw many great masters in the caves, but they cannot live alone because in the cave, there is no plantation. You know, there's no toilet. There is no many things, you know, so... If the person is living on the cave, somebody is sustaining him, you know. And what is his part on this system? Probably teach, help people, listen, be some sort of therapist like you are, you know. So th those people were the therapists of some old times, you know. <laughs> That's how they would live, you know, a different life, a different lifestyle. That's exactly what you are doing. And me also, you know. It's just a different lifestyle from what the other people are living. And this show them something, you know, he has a feather on his head, maybe this crazy man. If I have to talk something crazy, that would be the right guy, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tell me yeah. about your feather. Oh, this feather I, I gained from a very, very nice friend. He's actually, his name is Vernon. He's, uh, he's from this Lakota nation, you know, it's a, it's a native uh, from North America, Indian. And the feather represents the, this contact with the superior knowledge, you know. So the ego is, is seen as this, this bird that brings knowledge and connects you to some soul. To be inspired, I always use it. And then I saw this hat and I saw my it goes very well with this hat. And now I can use my feather every day. So I, for some special moments, I use it. Yeah. That's how it works. Just inspire me. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. And maybe other people also. Some people really love my hat. Some places I go here in Brazil, they say, my God, this hat's so cool. How did you, where did you buy it? No, it was not like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Huh, so so yeah, I wanted to ask you about okay your your heritage and the tradition because my so I understand Vedanta is one path it comes from India okay. um, and many cultures and many traditions have developed many other paths you know mm-hmm. um, and I'm curious about your relationship to to your personal heritage to your roots you know mm-hmm. how does how does that inform your perspective i mean first of all what are your roots where are you from okay um, and and how does that inform your your perspective in these matters okay so uh, speaking of heritage it, it's it's important to demystify the concept of guru that we have nowadays you know we think guru as a special person that does not feel pain does not go to the toilet that can see your future and it's perfect, you know, and uh, that's not what guru originally means, you know. So we can understand better in the in the West, guru as a teacher, but a teacher that does not establish with me a simple commercial relation, you know, where he's just going to, uh, you pay me, I teach you, you know. Of course, in the beginning, it has to start somewhere, so you have to, <laughs> to, to to go to a place and sit and study but slowly this person becomes some sort of new father or new mother and some problems that we we carry doing our lives get projected on them and they are able to help us solve these things you know these knots that we carry so on this perspective now i have different traditional teachers Instead of calling them gurus, I prefer calling traditional teachers because of all these problems we have nowadays with these ideas, you know, just normal people and teachers. And the main one is this one on here that's, can you see? Yeah. His name is Swami Dayananda Saraswati. He was a very important person in our heritage because uh, he, he brought light to the Vedanta teaching in in these last generations, you know, and during his life, he opened this possibility of a four-year residential course where people would study all the main original texts as they would be doing in Himalayas, you know, but in a situation that's more accessible. It's still a forest. It's still in India. Still, you don't have family. You don't, you don't have sex because you are there alone. You, you have to eat Indian food and deal with a different culture. But all this is part of the game, you know. But on this project that he created, that was the three-year residential course, has formed many, many teachers, many uh, people during his life. So maybe more than 1,000, you know. So he have revived the tradition, spreading general concepts of Vedanta and also this more profound uh, teaching where we can go with the original texts. He was also a philanthropist, you know, he had many hospitals, thousands of schools for rural areas, children, you know, Uh, so it was a very important person and he has a lot of clarity. So when you study with him, you would just like the knowledge just pop in your mind and say, I understood would be take a long time to understand in another way, you know. From the same heritage we have below him here, uh, here, Shankaracharya is just a, 
uh, a drawing because it was a long time ago. And uh, he also was a very important character on this tradition. So on this tradition, we had teacher-disciple, teacher-disciple, like this non-stop, you know, until Swami Dayananda. And from Swami Dayananda, I studied directed with him, but also with Gloria, that was a student of him, that uh, she's teaching here since the 70s that I spoke to you before. So that's where I come from, you know. Yeah. It's a very specific thing. There are many Vedanta places in, uh, in different places of India and the world. But I don't believe it's taught on the same way with the same emphasis as Swami Dayananda offers, you know. So I, I try the most to follow his path and to, let's say, adapt né, to this to the moment the culture is asking, like the online classes, bringing therapies and other things because I'm on the West also, you know, yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was, I was actually, when I asked you about your heritage, I was thinking about your, your blood, your, oh, your genetics. Oh, okay, man. I thought no. about that. Okay. No, no, but that's great. That's great. That's, uh, yeah. and that's the way that you answered it was exactly, um, why I asked the question because you're you're a mixture of heritages. I mean, you have your your True. genetics and you have your your sort of heritage that you've adopted. Exactly. And also, I, I feel that this connection to Indian may may have come or for sure have come from another life. You know, mm -hmm. that just came now. But in this life, you know, I I was born in a Brazilian family that actually is a descendant of these native Indian people from the middle of the country, let's say. Most of the tribe and the nation, how we call, was like slaughtered, so we don't have much. So now we are doing a big effort of bringing these native tribes and nations together so that we recreate an identity for them, you know, because uh, we don't want to lose all this knowledge, you know. But th this thing is very true because it's in the blood. Now, although we have, I have, for example, it Italian influence, even my name is from Italy, and I have some people from the northeast of Brazil, also in the same family, you know. I, I don't have beer as the other Brazilians because native people don't have just a small, don't know what. And also the color and everything is like the color of the, the native people, you know. And uh, what I feel now after studying Vedanta so long is that I, I have an urge to connect to, to this ancestrality because I still see that there is a lot of knowledge, mostly on this yoga path, on this path of self-growth that these native tribes still hold, you know, and there are many processes like ayahuasca is just a small bit of what the process is about, you know. And this is going to be loose also. So I, I feel like that maybe this knowledge have come to Brazil to get mixed with this other ancient knowledge that is in the forest. You know, that's how I feel now. Something that life will prove now. Let's see. Yeah. So you're in the process of trying to preserve and and support that that native tradition. Yeah. And it's. And it's its end goal if i mean if i don't know if that's an appropriate way to say it but but it's its purpose or its direction is towards a similar place you feel like uh, yeah I, f I feel that all the ancient tribes let's say nations of the world you know the the original people 
from Africa, from India, from Brazil, you know, they all have the same spirituality with different names, you know. There is, once upon a time, there was no religion, once upon a time, there was no groups, and there was no even understanding of God with a name, you know. All these things happen later, you know. And it was like on 1500, the year, that Brazil was invaded by the Portuguese people, and let's say the Occidental process started happening here, so the tribes disappeared and was pushed forth aside, you know. But still, if you, we have like some jokes in Brazil that are very true, like if a Russian, you know, uh, like a, not a Russian, a person that have Russian parents, you know, but he's born in Brazil, he will know how to dance samba, you know, because it's not ab about who is your father, it's about the sacredness of this land, you know. So although they were always meshed, if you come to Brazil, you feel an energy of life that it's no match in any place in the world. Like India also has its own energy, you know, and Africa has its own energy. Because in these places, native people, original people are still alive, you know. So if you go to the forest, there are some places that they kill you if they find you because they don't want, they only want the original people there, you know. So yeah. this is something that for me, makes sense to connect. I, I, that's something I'm doing naturally, like a lot of interest that I go and I meet some pages, some leaders, Indian, native Indian leaders, and I exchange, I learn, you know, many things to learn. Yeah, very that's, nice. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm really curious to hear how that project goes for you. you know, I, don't, I don't know if I told you, but I, I spent, well, just a few months in Brazil. Oh. When I was in my early 20s, I got a, a grant to do some some research. And Very I took nice. it, I took a year off of university. And and where where did you go in in the north up um, right near the border with with Venezuela? Oh, so okay. around there. Mm -hmm. And I was living with uh, the Makushi, the native oh. tribe up there. That's and, very nice. Yeah. That's was, why that's why we connect so much. <laughs> could be, could be. Okay. And you know, okay. I was I was interested in in very similar sort of questions. Um spent a lot of time with the local shaman, mm -hmm. trying to learn about their their practices, you know, and, and for the the Makushi, the shaman is I mean, he does everything. He's like the doctor, mm -hmm. he's the head hunter, he's the yeah, priest, yeah. he does everything, you know, and um I mean, with the specific group that I was with, I felt like it was very far from the ideal that I, I hoped to find there. Yeah, I yeah. Was, I'd read a lot of books yeah. and, you know, I had all these ideas about yeah, yeah, yeah. purity and Sometimes freedom. That's why also I think we need the disconnection with the Indian culture because the, the native, the the native culture of the Vedic tradition, there is a lot that can contribute and, and also revive some things that may be out of place, you know. So it, it, there is no perfect place. That's definitely, you know. We just have to know what to get from where and, and make our own soup, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, so I, I will leave a, a new invitation for you. Whenever you feel like coming again, please come visit us, spend some time. We go to the forest together. We do some ice baths, and that's yeah. very nice to catch yeah. up. Yeah, that yeah. sounds amazing. I love that. I love that.
<sighs> okay. Well. Okay. I don't know. Do you think it's a good place to leave it, or do you wanna do you wanna keep going? How how do you feel? Uh, I I think it's good if we end now because I did not. Uh, I have a, another meeting in some fifteen minutes, so I can okay. prepare and. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. But we can make another day if you if you enjoyed yeah. for me it was very pleasurable to talk to you so yeah for me as well yeah. definitely and you've, you've given me a lot to think about and i'm sure i'm sure as i sort of process all of this more questions will come up and and yeah i'd, I'd love to hear more about your your process of how you how how you developed over over time to get to where you are you know it's a it's let's really set let's let's have some weeks of interval and then we set another one